legion of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit, a demon, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You know, mankind really hasn't changed since the beginning. We've always been the kind of people that see us versus them. It's us versus them. It's it's those that we like to bless and those that we like to curse. In Bath, England, for example... Excavations have gone on for places that were discovered after 2,000 years. Archaeologists have excavated a combination spa, Roman worship center, built some 2,000 years ago. Interestingly enough, the scores of prayers that were unearthed at this excavation site have been found that these were Curse tablets. Because the most common prayer was a curse. People would name the person who hurt them, list their crime, and ask their gods to harm them. Well, we kind of look at that with a little bit of aghast, but we do pretty much the same thing oftentimes. One of these curse tablets that was found in Bath, England, Read thusly, Dosimidus has lost two gloves. He asked that the person who has stolen them should lose his mind and his eyes in the temple at the place where the goddess appoints. In Rome, these cursed tablets were found uh, through archaeological digs. One that I particularly like says this. I invoke you, holy angels and holy names, tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, and shatter Eucharios, the charioteer, and all of his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. Let the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not come from behind and pass, but instead, let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up and let him drag behind, both in the early races and the later ones. Now, now, quickly, quickly, the prayer ends. Yeah, sounds like the Kentucky Derby to me. (laughs) I've heard people, after having bet, say things of that nature. Xenophon, the Greek writer, said a man should give help to his friends and trouble to his enemies. Cyrus of Persia, on his deathbed, said, Take note of my last words. If you do good to your friends, you will also be able to punish your enemies. Now, this us versus them uh, had no bearing with Jesus whatsoever. For he went to the core of that and said simply this, 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I don't think there's been any prayer tablets found in any of the excavations where those who were praying to these gods and goddesses in pagan times were actually praying a blessing for their enemies. That wasn't found in these excavations. Well, here we have a situation where Jesus is going to the other side. Can you imagine? Jesus had so many crowds around the Sea of Galilee that the Bible records that Jesus literally had to get out in a boat and press away from the shoreline because the crowds were so large and they were pressing in so close around them. So Jesus got into the boat, went out into the lake, and began to teach. Now, imagine, if you will, the reaction of the disciples. They're excited. They get into the boat with Jesus. And they say, was this not a great crowd? I mean, it was full. Maybe we need to do another service. And they were excited because of the of the ad- adoration and the adulation of the crowds and the sheer size and magnitude of the numbers of people that were there. And it was a great day. So imagine their shock and dismay when Jesus said, let's go to the other side. The other side. We all have other sides. we all been there. Sometimes we don't want to go there. What's the other side actually? You see, the other side in Gerasenes was a bad place. It was the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was where the seven nations of Canaan actually settled because the Lord had told Moses and ultimately Joshua that he was going to rid the promised land of these seven nations of Canaanites. There were the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. All of these tribes comprised the seven nations of Canaan. Now, it was interesting because in excavations that have gone on over there, on the other side, these it was filled with te- pagan temples that exalted violence or sexual expression or greed. Everything that Israel was not. So the other side was just abhorrent to the Jewish mind. And then there were these pigs. You see, on the other side, this pig among these seven nations was considered the most unclean animal in Israel, though on the other side, the pig was actually regarded as sacred and worship there. You see, the Jews believed that Satan lived there on the other side. So now, you have this feeling of the disciples. You want to go where? You want to go to where Satan lives? To the other side? And it was no surprised that there was a storm in between as Jesus slept and Jesus calmed the storm and the Bible clearly says as they were approaching 
Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, therefore, having that wonderful revival experience over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, as they're approaching the Gerasenes, the other side of the lake, they expected at least some kind of a welcome committee. Well, look who welcomed them. They come from the crowds, and all of a sudden, you've got a madman who's demon-possessed. You see, these ten cities, Decapolis, was a center of Roman power in Jesus' time. It housed a legion of some 6,000 Roman soldiers, and actually, the symbol of a Roman legion was a boar's head. So they worshipped this pig. So, having said that, we come to the other side. As when Jesus got out of the boat, a man, not a crowd, a man. And it wasn't just any man, it was a man with a demon, an evil spirit, a man who was demon-possessed, came from the tombs to meet him. Well, we all have this us-versus-them streak in our lives, you know? It's the rich versus the poor, the poor versus the rich. It's races being pitted against each other. It's nations pitted against one another. I have seen, I don't care where I go in the world, you see that experience. It's cultures pitted against each other, neighborhoods against one another, gangs against each other. Family members tend to line up against each other. I mean, it's, it's that us versus them. And now the other side feels the same way. For those in Gerasene were thinking, here comes those on the other side. The only one that met them was this crazed individual. You know, all of us have been on the other side before. Some of us still are, perhaps. That other side is that side that, first of all, is isolated. You see, we try to live apart from God. It begins with our conscience and it moves to condemnation of those folks on that other side, that religious zealot. And then it leads ultimately to our isolation. Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn said it this way, conscience takes up more room than all the rest of a person's insides. Isolation. You see, this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. And this isolation ultimately leads to rebellion. Because he broke all restraints. This is the incredible hole right here. They tried to bind him. They couldn't. This demonic position, he broke all restraints. He wanted to run his own life. And as a result of his isolation from people and from God, so he felt he was isolated from God, he broke all of his restraints. That major rebellion. See that rebellion of those of us that were teenagers in the 60s. We saw it. We see it today in the rebellion among our family members, our communities, our nation, our world. There's rebellion against God. And that rebellion leads to isolation. 
And that also leads to a restlessness. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Any of you ever had relatives that were cutters? You know how common behavior today? It's very common. The psychologists basically say that those who cut themselves have such a poor self-esteem. They literally want to find out whether or not they truly are alive. This self-esteem that's so low in their lives. So here was this man who, in his restlessness, was crying out all night long. Nobody would venture toward the tombs. In the hills and in the tombs. And he would be one that was restless indeed. Restlessness. You feel that in your own heart? You feel that restlessness, that urge to know God, but you don't really want to because of the other side? You don't trust the other side, perhaps? You don't, maybe you have been injured in church? I can remember talking with a man one time who mentioned to me, he said, you know, he's 38 years old. He's got a wife and children. And he tells me, he said, I used to go to church. He said, but when I was 17 years old, I went to a revival. And the evangelist said, those who know for sure that you know Jesus Christ stand on this side of the building, those others stand on that side of the building. And he said, then that person and the uh, people of the church gathered around him. And literally, he said, I was scared. And I ran. And I haven't been back to church since. Well, there's that isolation that comes as a result of that distrust of the other side. And the other side may be religious. They may be people who claim to know Jesus Christ, but their lives don't reflect it in their relationships with you. And maybe you've been injured over the years by the church. I'd apologize for everybody. That would take a long time. But you are restless. And as a result of your isolation from the church, from God, from his people, from anything, you become self-destructive. You begin to hate yourself. That's what this cutting is all about. You begin to overeat, perhaps, overwork, overindulge. You get involved in activity or things that become obsessive to you that continue to drive a wedge between you and God himself. Whatever that activity is, whatever that thought is. And then you become a problem to others. Nobody wanted to be around him. He was unrestrained. This man would cry out. He had a demon. Well, what happened? What exactly happened? There was this confrontation between him and Jesus. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, and this is the demon speaking out from this man. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, what does the Bible say? James 2.19. You say you believe in one God. The demons also believe in what? Tremble. A lot of people don't believe in the existence of demons. Jesus does. We're not going to dwell on that because they're subservient to him. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So don't worry about those. You're going to be oppressed from time to time. 
You're going to see demonic activity from time to time. It's going to happen to you. But just rest assured that that Satan and his following knows that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the one who came and in whose life, death, and resurrection our faith is placed so that we might have life abundant and eternal. And Satan's going to do everything he can to distract you from that reality. And so here's that confrontation between Jesus and Satan. Jesus says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. He knew exactly what he was. And then Jesus said, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And boy, that was that could be a reminder, too, of this Roman uh, army behind him. What's your name? Legion. Satan's influences in our lives are legion. He influences us through our five senses. He influences us through our friends, our family, our relationships, our work habits, through our finances, through our sexual habits, through any number of things that we have. Satan's name is legion for his influences are many. And you're here, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're on the side that says, I don't want anything to do with those people that are influenced in that way. And so that other side is, is appalling to you. And maybe you're on the other side and say, I would really like to be a part of the Christ-like following, but I, I just don't feel like I can. Well, boy, do I have good news for you. Satan wanted to kill Jesus. He says, what do you want, Jesus? What do you want? Today, Satan attacks the church and attacks his true followers. But what do you want, Jesus? What is it? He replied, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, here's the interesting thing. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So he gave them permission. Understand, Satan only has as much power as God allows him to have. He is not God. He is not the creator of the universe. He is subservient. He is the prince of this world. But his keys will be thrown into the lake of fire along with him. Now, he gave them permission And the evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And the pig herders, those tending the pig, were not only shocked, they were astounded at the power of Jesus. They ran off and reported in the town and the countryside. Talk about a testimony. Let me tell you what I just saw. All of our pigs drowned themselves because they were demon-possessed. Now, keep in mind that the people in that day saw the pig as a symbol of worship. So Jesus is saying, your gods, your goddesses are subservient to me. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. There is none beside me. So here we are. He only wants us. So these people came out, see what happened. Then they came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now, you talk about salvation. Salvation is wholeness. It is making the 
incomplete, complete. Look at him in verse 15. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. This is the guy that couldn't sit still. They couldn't bind him. He was so wild. He was sitting there dressed. He wasn't dressed before. The wild people. And he was in self-control in his right mind. And they were afraid. Why? This is greater power than they had ever seen exhibited anywhere at any time in their lives. What is this thing? Who is this person? Jesus? And so, look at what they said. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And told about the pigs as well. Now, everybody's coming out to see what's going on. Now Jesus has a crowd. Isn't that interesting when you start with one crazed man? Sometimes you get a crowd. Sometimes it's not a good crowd, but this one was a good crowd. Because Jesus was able to demonstrate his power. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why? Because. They had never seen anything like this before. And sitting in front of them was this man who had been living in the tombs, crying out at night, cutting himself with stones, who was crazed with demon possession. And yet now there he is, clothed. He's sitting there looking normal. He's not normal. We've never seen him normal. What's wrong with this man? What happened to him? How'd that come to be? And then when they, this second group of witnesses came and told the village what had happened, the others came out. Jesus, you got to go. We don't understand any of this. We just know that it's beyond anything we can comprehend. So they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. Now, is that a change? The Great Commission? And all of this time, Jesus was calling people to come and follow me. And yet, Jesus said, don't follow me. I want you to be the first missionary to Decapolis. There's ten cities out there here that need to hear your testimony. First of all, I want you to go back to your family. Show them how Jesus has changed your life. And then, go to your village. And then go to the other villages. Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the league of ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. Now, you know the neat thing about it? On the religious side of Galilee... Jesus fed 5,000, had 12 basketfuls left over, one for each tribe of Israel. You're going to read shortly where Jesus on the other side fed 4,000 and had seven baskets left over. Could that possibly be for the seven nations of Canaan? Here's the thing. With Jesus, there is no other side. There is no place on planet earth where the presence of God is not found. 
Jesus is everywhere. And you may feel like you're on the other side. You may feel like you're on the outside looking in. And what you're really looking for is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't need to have a relationship like I have it or like anybody else in here has it. But you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And He comes to you and to me today and simply offers Himself. And whatever it is in that other side that has put you there, Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in what you would consider or others would consider the other side. I'm here with you. There is no door that Jesus won't walk through because he died for your sins and mine. There is no place that Jesus will not enter if he is to redeem that one person. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever has happened to you, whatever scars that you bear from the other side, good or bad, you feel yourself outside looking in, today is the day that Jesus wants to enter into your life this morning. Some who still doubt it, when the man begged to get in the boat and Jesus pushed off from shore, just two chapter, just one chapter later, you're going to see where Jesus went back to the other side. And this time, they brought their sick to him. And they came in large numbers because that other side, that sickness, that ill health that was considered a sin in that day, Jesus approached and healed. Now you're here this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you feel like you're on the outside looking in, today Jesus desires to enter into your life. You feel like you're on the other side? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. It's right there on his calendar. Today, right now. Maybe you've been hurt by church. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody else. Maybe you're hurt by your experiences or your your situation. Today is the day Jesus is willing to come to the other side to bid you to come follow him. So let's pray and you ask Jesus what it is that he would have you to do. Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day, for this blessing that's ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us. May we honor and glorify you through these decisions, whatever they might be. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for those who are willing to allow you to come into their lives, to step into this other side that they may uh, reside in. And Lord Jesus, to just make your dwelling in us and live day by day, hour by hour in our lives. Thank you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing the hymn of invitation. I'll be here to pray with you about whatever decision the Lord calls you to make. You come as the Lord so directs.